0: It is 8 o'clock. I know the time is at hand. I've only got 15 to 20 minutes, so I'm going to have to speak quick. Oh, this is a good looking group for considering everybody who left us. Amen. Amen. That's exciting. That's exciting. All right, welcome tonight. We are uh, going to talk about the vision tonight. How many of you are thankful for the vision? I am thankful for the vision. Amen. Reaching up in worship, reaching out in evangelism and reaching in through worship or in through discipleship. Excuse me. I know which vision pastor I am. I really do. (laughs) When I think about worship, there is something that swells up from the very depths of my core. When I think about bringing glory to the one in whom all glory belongs, there is something that moves in my spirit. When I think about the one who picked me up and turned me around and filled me with the Spirit, it makes me want to move physically. He moves my soul. He moves my spirit. He moves my body. When I think about what he's done, I can't help but respond to what he has done for me. Amen. God deserves all the glory all the time. He deserves all the praise all the time. Amen. Amen. Now, we have been taught as worshipers that our worship is in direct relationship to our level of revelation to who God is. Okay, the more that we know him, the deeper our level of praise should become. Do you understand that? Like, we understand that, right? Even in the natural, that makes a lot of sense. The more I know someone, the more I can appreciate their attributes. There's a saying that says, to love them is to know them. Have you ever heard that? Oh, to love them is to know them, which simply means that the more you know someone, the easier it is to love them. And it's the same with the Lord. We get to know him greater and then we appreciate his attributes that we learn about him. Therefore, our depth of worship in response to who he is becomes grander. Amen. Amen. How many know that getting to know the Lord is the key component to worship? Right. We get to know him in greater ways by spending time with Him. Time in His Word and time in prayer are two of the very basic and obvious ways that we get to know Him. So when we spend time getting to know Him, then we know and we learn of His attributes, and then we can worship Him in greater dimensions. We learn of Him through the Word in Romans 5 and 8, but God commendeth His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This scripture exposes the heart of God. It shows his great love for us. When I was blinded and in sin and doing all kinds of wrong, the fact that Jesus died to save me from myself moves me to worship him. Amen. Romans 19, or excuse me, 5, 19 and 20. Here's another. When we look at his word and we learn of him through his word, we can respond to him and worship Romans 5, 19 and 20 says, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Again, we learn through the disobedience of Adam and Eve that we're all doomed. (laughs) We're all doomed. But the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we've been introduced to grace. Y'all just going to have to overlook my voice tonight. I have been sick for two weeks, and I'm claiming healing. When you study out that word grace in verse 20, it means to have access to the bounty and the benefits of grace, which are defined as joy, pleasure, delight, loveliness, grace of speech, goodwill, favor, and strength. So when I read that I was doomed, but then I was able to receive the things that grace gives me, that causes me to want to worship the Lord. Amen. Amen. There's other attributes that we learn of God through his word, through the scriptures like Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Somebody say, that was me. Verse 3, among whom also we have had our conversations in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desire of our minds, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Somebody say, that was me too. (laughs) Verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, "...even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit therefore in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness to us through Jesus Christ." For by grace you're saved through faith and not you of yourself. It's a gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath both or- before ordained that we should walk in him. I am telling you, when I see that I was blind, and I was broken, and I was a lustful child of wrath, fulfilling the desires of my flesh and my mind, but Jesus, when I was in sin, came and afforded me the things that salvation and grace gives. That stirs me to worship him. If you're thankful for that, why don't you take a minute and worship him? Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, you're so good. You're so good, God. You're so good. You're so good. Can anybody write it better? I mean, there's just nothing that can be written better. You were a mess, and I fixed you. You were a mess, and I made a way. You were doomed to your own pitiful ways, and I made a way that you can be saved. Man, there's something that moves me when I think about all that God has done. I love when the Lord uses his word to bring me to a greater knowledge of who he is. We get in him and we pray every day. We get in him and we read the word every day. Therefore, we learn of his attributes and we worship him on a greater level. But here's a question that I want to propose to us tonight. What do we do when God desires to use the circumstances of life to mold us and shape us into greater worshipers. Yes, he teaches us through his word. And yes, he teaches us through our time of prayer. And yes, we respond in worship. But what will our response be when God chooses to use a circumstance of life to teach us the attributes about his character? What will our response be when he uses a difficult situation or even a disappointment to mold us into the worshiper he desires for us to be? Colossians 1 and 6 says, For him, by him were all things created that are in heaven and are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. We were not created to fulfill our own will. We were created to fulfill his will. We were not created to haphazardly walk on the planet, get a job, get married, raise a family, retire, and then to die. That is not the will of God. We were created with the purpose of bringing God glory and fulfilling his will. So what are we going to do? When we're faced with these situations in life and God says, I want to put this in your life to teach you about who I am so you can worship me in a greater way. Will we complain? Will we blame him? Will we retreat or isolate or become stagnant or walk away? Or will we learn of him? And will we deflect all the glory to him? Here's some things we know. We know that in this life, we will have trouble. We know that in this life, we will have disappointments. We know that in this life, we will have pain. We know that in this life, we will have heartache and disease and crisis and even death. But what kind of worshiper are we going to become during these difficult times? Amen. So we can read the Bible that Jesus died for us and that he was buried and he rose again. But how can we really worship him as a savior if we don't realize we're lost? How can we truly worship him as a savior if we don't experience repentance and baptism in Jesus name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost? We can read it. We can know it conceptually, but it's not the same until we experience it. Right? Right. It's not the same. Someone teaches you a Bible study and you're like, yeah, that's good. But then you get in a service and you start to feel the presence of God and you're filled with the spirit. And all of a sudden it clicks like, wow, that's what they were talking about. It's something altogether different when we experience it. So here's here's the practical application. Here's the practical application. What are you going through right now? What circumstances of life have disappointed you? Are you in a current crisis? Is there a void in your life? Are you in a season of discomfort? Are you in a season of transition? Are you in a season of even grief? Whatever situation you find yourself in, I want you to ask yourself these two questions. Okay? Number one, who does God want to be for me in this situation? Who does God want to be for me? In this situation, number two, how can it be used to bring him glory? Okay, those are the two questions I want you to think on. Who does God want to be for me in this situation? And how can it be used to bring him glory? Isaiah 53 and 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. How can we worship him as a healer if we never experience sickness? John 14 and 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. How can we worship him as the prince of peace if we don't experience a little bit of trouble? Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Come unto me, all that ye that, are la- that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And you'll find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How can we worship him as the one who gives us rest unless we have a weary soul and a heavy burden? I don't like it either. <laughs> it is what it is. Right? So again, I ask you about your circumstances, ask yourself these two questions. Who does God want to be for me in this situation, and how can it be used to bring Him glory? Amen. We're doing good. It's 8.13. Brother Ron, I got seven minutes. All right. There are many people in the Word who worship the Lord through experiencing difficulties and hardship. I want us to look at Paul and Silas for a moment. We're going to look at Acts 16, 22 through 26. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes. They're speaking of Paul and Silas. And commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison, and made their feet fast in stocks verse 25 and at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them think about this they were stripped they were beaten they were bruised and they were in shackles and they allowed their circumstances to bring them to a pure heartfelt honest moment of prayer and of worship Wow Wow You got to know that their worship caught heaven's attention because in verse 26, it says, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. Amen. When is the last time that your worship caught heaven's attention when you were in a season of brokenness? When was the last time that my worship caught heaven's attention when I was going through some troubles? Paul and Silas are not fictional characters in a great novel. These are our brothers in Christ. And I believe that we can be encouraged by their story tonight. If they did it, we can do it too. Amen. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Let's look quickly at the widow in Mark 12, verses 41 through 44. And Jesus sat over against the treasury. They're in this church service, right? Jesus is sitting over against the offering basket. And beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make A farthing and he called unto him his disciples and saith unto them. Verily, I said unto you, he calls the disciples to him. That was such a incredible thing to me. Jesus is having a teachable moment with his disciples and he's saying to them, this poor widow has cast more in than they which have all cast into the treasury for they all did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. This simple act of giving was used as a teachable moment, not only to the disciples, but to us today. It wasn't how much she gave, but rather how much it cost her personally. This act of worship moved Jesus. It got his attention She gave more than anyone else. What moved this woman to give is not clearly recorded in the Bible. I don't know what her circumstances were. It just says that she gave it all, and all wasn't very much. But it was clear that it got heaven's attention. When is the last time that our giving of worship caught heaven's attention when we had nothing to give? Let's look at Abraham. Another example. In the book of Genesis, God promised to make Abraham the father of many nations and that his seed would be far more than the stars in the sky. But we see God asking Abraham to bind his son and to kill him. It's recorded in Genesis 22, 1 and 2. And it came to pass after these things God did tempt or test or prove Abraham and said unto him, Abraham... And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, which thou loves, and give thee into the land get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mounts, which I'll tell you of. So basically he says, Go get your kid, bring some things to sacrifice, start walking towards there, and I'll let you know when to stop. Can you imagine? Can you just imagine like we think we do really big things for God and we do, I suppose, in certain ways. But he knows that he's walking. He doesn't know there's a ram in the thicket. We know the story, right? He has no idea. And we know that he's an incredible man of faith, but he was human. He was a human being. Look at verse 4 and 5. Then on the third day, so they walked for three days. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw, saw a place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again unto you. Here we see God testing Abraham to see if he would sacrificially worship in the fear of God. To the point that he was what appeared That he had to give back the very promise that God spoke to him. When is the last time that our worship was so sacrificial that we were willing to give back to God the very thing he gave to us? Oh, that hurts me. Right? When is the last time that we worshiped to that place? Let's look at Genesis 12. 22, 12 and 14, 12 through 14. And he said, lay not thy hand upon the lad. Neither do anything. Other. Actually, let me go back. So we know the story. Abraham takes Isaac. They go up to the mountain. Abraham binds him, lays him on the altar, raises the knife to slay him. And an angel intervenes. And this is where the angel intervenes. And the angel said, lay not Thy hand upon the lad, neither do anything unto him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. This is God. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered up a burnt offering. In the stead of his son, and Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh, and it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. What an incredible act of worship! Abraham got heaven's attention. His worship got heaven's attention church, let us never, it's 820, I know the time, let us never think that we've arrived when it comes to worship. Let us never think that we've got the market on all the depths of worship. We've got a long way to go. I want to be a worshiper who catches heaven's attention. I want this to be a church who worships to the point that we get heaven's attention. I want to see angels when I worship. I want to see the things of heaven brought down to earth when I worship. I want to sacrifice to the place that my worship will get heaven's attention. All right, so here's the questions. What does God want me to do during my difficult situation? And how can it be used to bring him glory? I think it would be fitting, as Brother Ron makes his way, if you just lift your hands where you're sitting and tell the Lord, God, I want to be a worshiper who gets your attention. God, I want my worship to move you to the place uh, that I get your attention, Lord. God, I want my worship to be pure before you. I want my worship to be honest before you. I want to be one who worships so that your angels can come and go freely. Oh Lord, let our meetings be meetings where your angels go into the work that you have designed. God, let us gather in one mind and one accord when we gather corporately. And let us gather with the anointing and sacrifice and the fear of God when we gather privately. Oh God, in your name I pray let us be worshipers who get your attention,
1: uh. Amen, Amen. I want to be a worshipper, Amen. That's what we're created to do. We are created to worship, Amen, Amen. I I, I appreciate the the word from Sister Candy tonight and. And I love the vein that she was speaking in and sacrifice and worship. And we know that without sacrifice, there is no worship. Amen. As you saw, the very first mention of, of, sac- of worship is tied to sacrifice. So if we think we're worshiping but we haven't sacrificed anything in a while, we're probably not worshiping the way we think we are. Amen. Amen. And, and, and it's the, it's, the reason why I say that is because it's sacrifice that I feel to talk to us about tonight. Amen. I'm I'm just going to jump right into it. I apologize. We're. we're I, I don't have a whole lot of time, and I want to make sure that I get the word out there. I'm going to try to slow down, but I. like I said, when I feel a little pressed for time, I might talk a little faster than I normally do when I already talk very fast. Amen. I apologize for it. It's that city living. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. So tonight, obviously, if you don't know, I'm here to talk to you about reaching up. I mean, reaching out. In evangelism with the apostolic message. Amen. Amen. And typically when I would think of evangelism, I think of outside of the building. Typically when I think of evangelism, I think of people that are lost. And when I think of evangelism, I think of reaching into a lost world and and ministering to the needs of others and ministering to the broken and ministering to those people. But I feel like the Lord gave me a little bit of a, a fresh reminder, if you would, maybe a Fresh revelation, if you want to call it that, or a fresh reminder, that sounds a little bit better to me, but I, I feel like he, he, he directed my thoughts, and he, and, he, and he taught me tonight, or as I was preparing, is that yes, our thoughts and our focus is on reaching the lost, but reaching the lost doesn't begin out there. Reaching the lost begins right here. Reaching the lost begins right inside of all hearts, Amen. Because if our hearts ain't right, we're not going to win the lost. If our hearts aren't right, we're not going to do the right things to reach the lost. We're not going to care about the lost. We're not going to look upon the needs of others. We're only going to be worried about building our own kingdoms and our own families and our own trucks and our own cars and whatever it is that we're trying to build. But when we can get our hearts in the right place through sacrifice unto the Lord, amen, we'll find ourselves reaching the lost in greater and more powerful ways than we ever even imagined. Amen. You see, there's a process that comes to evangelism. Amen. The process isn't found in a self-help book. The process of evangelism isn't found in outside programs. Well, in that church, they're doing this program, and it works. And that church is doing this program, and it seems to be working. And you can do all the programs that you want to do, but if this isn't right, it doesn't matter what programs we do, the root, the process begins right here, everybody, look at yourself, point at your own heart, and say, This is where evangelism begins. Amen. Amen. We have to change some things within ourselves in order to get to the place where we can change the things about the world. Amen. If we don't change what's wrong with us, we can't change what's wrong with the world. Amen. I, I, <laughs> I'm gonna try to slow down, I'm a little excited. I'm sorry. Amen. Amen. I got a whole lot of verses tonight. Right, Sister Lana? Yeah. John chapter 12, verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. Amen. Somebody say much fruit. Amen. Now, I'm short on time, so I'm not going to go into a whole lot of depth of what Jesus is talking about here or I'm sorry, or the scenario, but this is just after the triumphal entry. He rode in on the colt. Everybody's waving the palms. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna. And then some Greek guys walk up. They want to talk to Jesus. They want to see Jesus. And Jesus looks at his disciples, and he says this. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. Amen. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. Amen. And Jesus is trying to... to, to Teach them a principle, a biblical principle that says, in order for you to have life, I must die. That's what Jesus is saying. Because of my death that's coming up in a few days, I'm going to be able to bring forth eternal life for many people. I'm going to be able to bring forth much fruit to a broke and dying world. It only comes through a death of the Lord. Amen. So the principle that the Lord is teaching disciples that is in order for something to grow, something has to die. In the natural, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But in the spiritual, it makes a whole lot of sense. Amen. He's using an agricultural reference here to illustrate that because of the death that he's going to suffer, greater things are going to come. Amen. It's only through his death that we receive eternal life. It's only when we identify with his death that we receive eternal life. It's only when we identify with the death, the burial, and the resurrection that we can walk in the newness of life and walk with an assurance that we're on our way to a greater place, that we're not stuck in this world, but we have an eternal home that rests in heaven. Amen. Amen. So, He's teaching about bringing forth fruit. He's teaching about bringing forth life. Amen. How does that relate to me? Well, often we'll see the word of God referred to as the seed. He also talks about our faith being a seed. Amen. And he talks about us being a tree. Before it could ever be a tree, it's first a seed. A tree cannot produce fruit until it grows. Amen. A seed that lies in the ground dormant and it's untreated does what? It dies. It just sits there. It abides alone. Unless the corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it just lays there. Nothing happens. Nothing changes. Nobody's affected by it. Nobody can eat from it. Nobody can be nourished by it. Amen. But when a seed goes into the ground and it dies, it will bring forth much fruit. Amen. Amen. The principle is this then. Unless we die to ourselves, we will never produce fruit in anybody else. Unless we are able to sacrifice some things within ourselves, we will never be able to reach anybody else. As Sister Candy said, unless we've experienced what it is to be broken, we can never experience the peace that people need. Unless we've experienced what it means to fall down in an altar of worship and sacrifice, we'll never be able to be able to give the people what they actually need. Amen. They don't need me. They don't need you. They need the spirit of God that's in us. But the spirit of God that's in us can only flow out of us if we'll allow our flesh to die. Amen. Amen. Pastor Anthony talked last Thursday about taking up our cross and following him. Amen. I believe that this is right in that vein. It's only when we decide to lay down our cross and pick up his cross and follow him that we could actually show people the way to him. How can you show somebody a way to something that you haven't been able to walk to in quite a while? Come on, if you've been broken but you don't know what to do about it, you just got to pick up your cross. You got to get back down on your knees and you got to get back to a place of worship and allow the spirit of God to transform your heart. Amen. So that way you can put forth what, what the people need. Amen. Unless we do these things, we will never see the harvest that God has provided. Amen. We've prayed a lot for harvest. we prayed a lot for these things. Amen. And we believe that God has provided it. Right? The fields are white to the harvest. Right? We believe that. Amen. We believe that, that in, in the end times there's going to be a greater soul revival than we've ever seen before. Amen. But it's got to start here. Before I die to myself, I live a life that pleases my flesh. Before I die to myself, I work to attain whatever feels good to me. Amen. Before I die to myself, I get a bigger house. Before I die to myself, I get a bigger car. Before I die to myself, I live a life dominated by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Amen. But when I die... And when I allow myself and my flesh to be put under subjection to Christ, then I find life. Then I find life, and I find life more abundantly. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't, they don't have this scripture, but it's Romans 6.8. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Amen. Amen. We can never give anybody Christ if we're not carrying him with us. If the Spirit of God isn't living inside of me and overflowing in every area of my life, then how can I do anything for anybody? You see, it's not my enticing words that are going to win souls. It's not my talent and my charisma and my personality that's going to win souls. What was that statement you said? You just got to know them to love them? People say that about me all the time. Because if you don't know me sometimes, I'm a little rough around the edges. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So I know it's not my personality that's winning people to the Lord. It's the spirit of God that's going to lead people to the Lord. It's the spirit of God that's overflowing from my life that's going to bring people to the Lord. It has nothing to do with me, but it has everything to do with him and his spirit. But his spirit can't live in me, uh, live through me if my flesh is living through me. Amen. Verse 24 again, second part of that verse. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. His death produces life in us. When we follow him and we allow ourselves to die, we will bring forth much fruit. Amen. Our level of personal death and sacrifice is a direct correlation to the harvest that we're going to see. If the seed doesn't die, it just lives alone. There's an embryo inside of a seed. A seed has to go into the water. And it has to go into the ground. It has to be watered. And it has to break forth from the shell. And when it comes out of the shell, there's this little thing that begins to grow. Amen. And as that thing begins to grow, that's when things change. And it can grow into a beautiful tree. The character of a mustard seed like Brother Rhodes taught us the other day. Amen. But if the seed doesn't die, it just lives alone. If the seed doesn't die, if we don't die, if our flesh doesn't die, if we don't crucify our flesh, we live alone. What does that mean? That means I just keep coming to church, and I'm glad I'm here. I just keep coming to church, and I'm glad I'm saved. I keep coming to church, and I don't care who goes to heaven with me. As long as I'm going to heaven, I'm okay. That's what living in the flesh looks like when you're in the church. Amen, because if you were living in the spirit, you'd be concerned about the things of others. You'd be doing the body, ministering to the body. You'd be looking more upon the needs of others than you would about yourself. Amen, I do the same thing. It's not just you I'm talking to tonight. I'm talking to me. Amen, amen. As long as I'm going to heaven, I'm good. That's not living. That's death. That's loving our lives so much that we don't want anything to disrupt it. Amen. I'm good coming to church. I'm good hearing some preaching. I'm good at talking tongues every once in a while. But it, it, you ask me to do anything else, I'm not going to do it. That's not living for God. That's not. I'm sorry if that's where you're at. That's not. That's not crucifying your flesh. Amen. But if we would allow the Spirit of God to crucify our flesh and to live through us, We won't abide alone. We won't be here by ourselves. The principle is plain. Something has to die, and when it does, it brings forth much fruit. Oh, hallelujah. Before our flesh is crucified, we live for ourselves. We love our lives, and we think our time is too precious. I can't teach a Bible study because I'm too busy. I'm too tired to call that person. You know, what? I call on that brother, I would call that sister, but they talk a whole lot. And I don't have two hours to talk to them on the phone. That's not living. That's not dying, our flesh. Amen. Amen. That's loving our lives. That's me putting my needs first. That's me missing out on the blessings of God. Sometimes we look at our lives and we wonder why we're not more blessed in certain areas. Why do we struggle in certain areas? It might have something to do with this. Think about it. Sorry if I'm stepping on your toes tonight. (laughs) I hope you brought your boots. <laughs> Praise God, Amen. And I'm and I don't mean it to be rude. I don't mean it to be mean. I'm saying some of this stuff tongue in cheek, but I'm doing it because of the harvest is great. All right, the harvest is great. I'm going to have to skip some verses here, but Amen, Amen. I'm just going to skip down to uh, here. where It says the one of the biggest reasons we don't evangelize more is because our flesh is dominating our daily walk. Think about it. You don't have to raise your hand here. But think about it. I'm going to ask some questions, or let me just read off some reasons why we don't evangelize. And you don't have to raise your hand, but think if you relate to any of this. And I know you do, because you wrote it down a few years ago. Amen. They might reject me. They might ask me some questions I don't know the answers to, and I'll be embarrassed. I don't have the time that it requires. I'm not qualified or equipped to reach out. I don't have the personality to do it. I'm more of an introvert than I am an extrovert. And what do all those reasons have in common? The flesh, me. It, it's how I feel. It's how it's going to affect me. It's how I, I can't do it, or it's, I don't want them to think I'm an idiot, or whatever it is. That's us living. But how many know that when we die to ourselves, he makes us into brand new creatures. Amen. All things are passed away. All things become new. Amen. He gives us boldness. Come on. His spirit brings all things to our remembrance. What's impossible for man is possible for God. Hallelujah. He gives us every spiritual blessing. My Bible says that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Oh, Hallelujah. Come on, there's nothing that we can't do when we, when we sell out for God. There's nothing we won't be able to accomplish when we give our lives completely to God. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I, I, I'm just going to stick on this one little point. I apologize. But this personality thing, I've heard this a lot of times. I don't have the personality to reach out. I just don't, you know, Brother Ron, it's easy for you because you, you, you can talk to, to a tree, you know, it's, so it's easy for you. But I'm not comfortable talking to people. And you're right. You're not comfortable talking to people. And neither am I sometimes. I'm not always comfortable talking to people, walking up to people and talking to them about the Lord. It's not the easiest thing to do. But it's, it's Christ that lives in me. Amen. It's not not my personality that would win a soul. So it's not my personality that would stop a soul from coming to God. It's nothing about, it's not my talent that wins a soul. So it's not my talent or lack of talent that's going to stop somebody from coming to God. It's not my understanding of the Bible. It's not my, I I didn't become a great theologian overnight. And it's not my lack of understanding of the Bible that's going to stop somebody from coming to God. If I allow the Holy Ghost to work through me and I allow my flesh to be crucified, I will win souls to God. I need somebody to believe that tonight. Because that's the greatest lie the enemy is telling the church. You can't do this, and you can't do that, and you, you'll never win that person. You don't have the talent to do it. You don't have the knowledge to do it. You don't have the time to do it, and we don't have any of those things. But we do have the Spirit of God living inside of us, and if we have the Spirit of God living inside of us, then nothing is impossible. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. There was two more verses there. He that loves his life shall lose it. He that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. It's impossible for us to crucify our flesh, to sacrifice all that we have, and to give all that we have to the harvest and not reap the benefits. It's impossible for us to be obedient to this verse and not see the fruit of the verse. Amen. If we will lay down our lives, we will see blessing. If we will lay down our lives and serve him, we will receive honor. If we will follow him, we will receive all that we want from him and more. But when we try to hold on to what little we have, we will receive nothing. And we will continue to receive nothing. Oh, Pastor Anthony said it. You can't serve God with a closed hand. I wish some of us would just open our hands tonight and just give our talents to the Lord and just give our knowledge to the Lord and just give our time to the Lord and just sacrifice something to reach somebody. Hallelujah. 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 How many know we cannot outgive God? We cannot outdo God. Mark chapter, she doesn't have this one. Mark chapter 10, verse 29 through 30. And Jesus answered and said, verily I say unto you, there is no man that has left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake and the gospel. But he shall receive a hundredfold, now, in this time. Come on, somebody. With, now in this time. Houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with with persecutions and in the world to come, eternal life. Oh, hallelujah. What's he talking about? Whatsoever we will sacrifice, we will receive plus more. How much more? An equal portion? Nope. A double portion. Elisha was all happy about a double portion. We get more. Tenfold? Not enough. A hundredfold. A hundred times what we've already lost, we will receive back plus more. We will receive eternal life. Oh, hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I'm ready. I'm ready to receive it in this time. I don't have to wait till tomorrow. I don't have to wait till I die. I don't have to wait, but I can receive it now. And I can bring souls with me now. And I can win souls now. Oh, hallelujah. All I got to do is lay down my desires. Lay down my ambitions. Lay down my thoughts. Oh, hallelujah. We have it in this life, right here, right now. Amen. As Sister Ann comes up, the Lord has a very simple message for this church. Crucify our flesh. Lay down our desires. And he will bless us with the true riches of this world, which are lost souls coming to him. Amen. If you believe that, would you close your eyes, lift your hands. Amen. Let's just pray that God would show us what we need to sacrifice. Show us the way to live according to his word and to receive this word into our lives. Oh, hallelujah. Come on. Lift your voices now. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
2: Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. When when Brother Ron was was preaching up here, I could barely sit in my seat. (laughs) I am so excited. The Lord. I, I asked the Lord, I, I don't know about you preachers and how the Lord gives you a word, but for me, it's not like this big voice, you know, shouting down to me or this great big inspiration. It's normally something that I'm reading in my everyday devotion, something that I'm teaching at community group, um, something I'm reading a book about. And today I just really told the Lord, I said, Lord, please, please don't let what I'm speaking about tonight be from me. I want it to truly be from you. And I think if we would have let Brother Ron go about five more minutes, he would have just completely preached my entire little message here. So, (laughs) but what's so amazing, the other thing I said is, Lord, if this word is from you, let it be confirmed by my fellow vision pastors. And that's exactly what the Lord is doing here tonight. He has a word that he is trying to get through to us tonight. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for his goodness. So I'm going to get to it real quick. I think Brother Ron stole some, uh, some of my thunder that I stole from him last time we got up and talked. But it's only fair. Um, so, so my title tonight is The Cost of Discipleship the cost of discipleship. So how many of you have heard these sayings? You get what you pay for, right? Nothing in life is free. How many of you have said that to your kids sometimes? And then this one you should have learned in high school economics. There is no such thing as a free lunch. You heard that one? (laughs) Um, The connotation in these sayings is that anything that's valuable or worth or of worth is going to be costly. And those things that are free for some actually were paid for by others. We often hear wonderful, powerful messages about the gospel, about how Jesus paid the price for our sins on the cross, how he died, how he was buried and he rose again so that we could be made righteous. We hear about the free gift of the Holy Ghost that gives us power and authority to overcome our enemies and which is promised freely to all who would desire it. We hear how Jesus heals us, saves us, provides for us, protects us, puts our families back together, and praise God, all of that is true. Has he done that for you? He's done it for me. And I am so thankful for the the good things that he does for us. Jesus commands his disciples, he commands us to freely share this hope-filled salvation gospel message with our world. He commands us to do so. And yet, while we rejoice in the fact that Jesus paid for our sins on the cross and that our salvation is freely given to us, we must also understand that in order to be his disciples, there is no free lunch, and we will get what we pay for. There is a cost to being a disciple of Christ, and Jesus clearly makes it known throughout the Gospels. So what does Jesus have to say about the cost of discipleship? Let's look at John 14, 28 through 30. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? Lest haply after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. So to put Jesus's question into perspective today for us, Jesus is asking who of us would start to build a house without first considering how much it's going to cost and whether or not we had enough money to finish it, right? That would be foolish if we didn't think about the cost and, And, you know, see if we had enough money to pay for it or if we could get enough um, in a loan to pay for it. So that would be foolish to start to build without knowing the cost. So if we look in chapter 14, and I don't think I gave you the scripture, but if we go up to verse 25 or back to verse 25, we see that there's a great multitude following Jesus this day. Okay, so in this multitude, there were probably people who had heard about Jesus's miracles Many had probably seen his miracles, and some may have even experienced a miracle. It was to this crowd that Jesus asked that question. Okay. While the miracles that he performed were freely and generously given, Jesus was letting the multitude know that not everything in his kingdom was going to be free. There was a cost they would have to pay to be his disciples, and they needed to count that cost before they made the decision to follow him. He was upfront and he was transparent about the cost. So, what did Jesus tell the multitude it would cost them to follow him? In verse 33, he says, So likewise, whoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. He told them that they would be required to give up everything in order to be his disciple and when he said everything he meant everything we see this requirement in action when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus desiring to become one of his disciples the young man had paid the price of being obedient to the commandments since he was young but when Jesus told him to sell all that he had to follow him he was unwilling to give it all away and thus he left Jesus full of sorrow Verse 26 through 27, Jesus says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So here Jesus is telling the multitude that the cost would require them to give up their families, their lives, and their self will. That's a high cost, isn't it? It's a high cost. God's word does not change, and he does not change. So for the modern-day disciple, we too must follow the cost to follow him. We must also be willing to give our all. We must be willing to forsake everyone and everything in our lives, including our self-will, our hopes, and our desires. There are many in our world today who have had to choose between being a disciple of Christ and maintaining a relationship with their families. Many have paid the cost of being disowned by their families in order that they may be a follower of Jesus. We, we don't maybe see that so much in our Western culture, but you know, overseas in the Middle East, we have um, brothers and sisters who gave up the Islamic faith to be Christians, and many of them suffered great persecution from their own families. You know, many have been beaten and disowned, kicked out of their homes, and left out on the street because they chose to be a disciple of Christ. And I know that's kind of hard for us to maybe fathom, but if you could just think about that for a minute, you know, to have your families, your mother and your father, your brothers and sisters, to reject you in that way, that's a high cost to pay. But many have been willing to pay it. There have been many people throughout the years and in the years to come that are going to be martyred for refusing to deny Jesus. And again, that's not something we might see very often here, but it's happening all across our world and in, in many other countries every day. Every day that's happening. I'm n- I'll never forget, We um, I don't know if Sister Michelle may have been here at this time, but we had a, a missionary that came through and Sister Fable may remember and was telling a story about how their fellow missionary, um, the, the officials came to his house and him and his wife were there and they had a baby. And the officials said, um, we want you to denounce the Lord. We want you to, to no longer preach in his name. And they said, we're, I'm not going to do that. We won't do that. And they said, if you don't do it, we're going to kill your baby. Imagine that. Think about that for a minute. And so they said, we're not going to do it. We are disciples of Christ, and we will continue to preach in his name. And those officials took that precious little baby and threw the baby through the window of that house, killing that little baby. What a cost. What a cost that is. You know, and when we think about the things that the Lord may be requiring from us, You know, sometimes we think, oh, Lord, that's just too costly. I don't think I can do that. Think about those brothers and sisters that we have who have paid a much, much higher cost than we have or may ever will. Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We all know the scripture well, and we often say, yes, Lord, and amen. But when it gets down to our everyday practical application of this scripture, are we being a doer of the word or a hearer only? Do we obey this command on a continual, consistent basis or only when we feel like it, or only when it's easy and convenient? Sometimes we love things in the abstract more than the concrete. We love the idea, but not the actual implementing of the idea. We all like the idea of being lean, strong, and healthy. Amen? (laughs) But are we willing to pay the price for it? Are we willing to stop eating the greasy hamburgers and the Snickers bars? Are we willing to get up off of the couch and exercise or go to the gym or run around the block a few times? The idea is great, but the effort it requires to be healthy may be more than we're willing to put forth. There is a quote I read recently. It says, cut and slash, doctor, but don't make me bleed. (laughs) We all want the benefits of being a disciple. We ask to become more like Jesus when we pray. We sing songs of worship that proclaim that we want to be more like him. I thought of a song, but I'm not going to sing it. We, We want him to cut away things in our life that are not pleasing to him. But when that cutting process gets painful, and figuratively speaking, we see the blood start to flow, that's when some of us cry out for him to stop, because the process is too painful, and it's too much of a cost, and we're not willing to pay it. When Jesus was arrested, the Bible tells us in Luke 22:54 54, that when they took him to the high priest's house, Peter followed afar off. Peter followed close enough to maintain visual contact with Jesus that night, but far enough away to avoid association with him. He was close enough so that Jesus could see that he was still following him, even when all the other disciples had scattered, but he was still far away enough to escape the consequences of being his follower. Some of us want to be disciples of Jesus because of the blessings and miracles that he offers. They want to partake of his power and his might, but when association with Jesus causes persecution or when it requires the cost of daily devotion and the cost of mortifying the deeds of their flesh, they would rather not pay that cost. Instead, like Peter, they choose to follow Jesus afar off, where their flesh is more comfortable and the consequences are minimal. Many of us here tonight have been serving the Lord for a while, I think as I look upon the, the crowd, for many of you for several years, and we know what it means to pay the cost of discipleship. Have any of you paid some costs? Yes, we have. And while we know the price to follow Jesus is costly at times, what we have learned is that the benefits of following Jesus far exceed anything that it's going to cost us. One of our vision goals at TPC is to reach in with discipleship. This goal challenges us to grow in our relationship with Jesus, but it also calls us us to disciple others in a way that helps them grow in their relationship with Jesus. So when it comes to discipling others, we should be mindful about the cost of being a disciple of Christ. Like Jesus, we need to be upfront and transparent with them about the cost of discipleship. While we share the love of Jesus and the good news of the gospel message with others, we should also let them know that in order to become a disciple of Christ, Jesus requires us to make a commitment and to follow him and to obey his word. Many times we see people in our altars experiencing a wonderful outpouring of God's love. They get baptized, they get filled with the Holy Ghost, we rejoice with them, they come to church a few times after that and then we don't see them anymore. I've had the opportunity to talk with many of these precious people. And oftentimes what I find is that after the initial joy and excitement that they had from their salvation experience begins to subside, and they have to start making some real changes to their everyday living, they begin to realize that there is a cost to serving Jesus. It may be the cost of their time, the cost of their resources, the cost of being faithful to church the cost of being obedient to the word, or the cost of surrendering the desires of their flesh. It's during this time that they are counting the cost of serving Jesus, and they are going to make a decision as to whether or not they're willing to pay it. This is a critical time for the church, for you and me, to come alongside them and to encourage them. They need to hear our testimonies. They need to hear our personal stories and experiences. We need to share with them how how there were times in our own lives when we submitted to the word of God even when we didn't want to. We need to share with them how and why we made those hard decisions and the results of our obedience. We need to also share the stories of when we failed to submit to the word and what we learned as a result of our disobedience. We need to share with them how the Lord blessed us through our obedience and assure them that he will do the same for them. If he did it for us, he's going to do it for them. We need to give them concrete examples from our own lives of times when the price we paid to follow Jesus paled in comparison to the blessings that we received in return. While Jesus commands his disciples to share the gospel with our world, he also commands us to teach him his word. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, all things whatsoever I have commanded you. We see from the scripture that we have a responsibility to teach new believers the word of God after they apply the gospel to their lives. We don't just tell them about the gospel and then leave them, right? We have to teach them now. We have to teach them how to live for Jesus, what we have learned, and what they need to learn in order to grow and mature in Christ. If we fail to come alongside them and encourage them with our testimonies and edify them with the truth of the word, they may succumb to the lies of the enemy, the lies that say the cost of discipleship is too high and are more costly than what they can afford. We need to teach them about the benefits that come from being a disciple. We need to constantly remind them of those benefits as they learn to follow Jesus. So take a minute and think and look around the room and see which of our new believers aren't here right now. And I guarantee that they need to hear this tonight. They need to hear our encouraging words and our hopeful words and what God has done for us and he will do for them. So what are the benefits of discipleship? And I'm almost done. Mark 8:35, Jesus says, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. When we lay down our lives for Jesus, we gain eternal life. Eternal life. This life, the Bible says, is like a vapor. We're here today, gone tomorrow. It's just an instant. But when we willingly lay down our lives now, we get eternal life with him. When we crucify our flesh to follow after Jesus, he gives us life more abundant than the one we willingly lay down. The life he gives us is full and overflowing with his peace and joy. Mark 10, 29 through 30 And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold, now in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. Did we just hear that scripture earlier? Sounds familiar. (laughs) I think you should read this a couple of times this week because Jesus is talking to us. So while being a disciple of Christ, Jesus has caused some believers to be rejected and disowned by their families, like I said earlier, but they in turn are blessed with a whole new family, the family of God. They become part of the body of Christ where they have fellowship and kinship with a new family of fellow believers. Verse 31, Jesus says, but many that are first shall be last and the last first. When we pay the cost of putting our needs and wants last and putting his will first, we have the promise of being first in his kingdom to come. Matthew six thirty one and 33, therefore take no thought saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or whither with shall we be clothed? For after these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. When we pay the cost of making his kingdom's purpose first in our life, we have the promise that all of our earthly needs will be met. Church, our God is so good. He never requires more than we can give. Our Lord is patient, and he is kind, and he knows what we can handle. As, in closing, as you stand, I'm, I'm reminded of the story of James and John when they asked Jesus if they could sit on his right hand and his left hand after he set up his kingdom. They were basically asking for a place of authority and blessing in his kingdom. Jesus asked them if they could drink the cup that he was to drink, and to be baptized with the baptism he was to be baptized of. The cup that Jesus spoke of was symbolizing his impending suffering, and the baptism he spoke of was referring to his soon death. The two disciples, in their zeal, responded wholeheartedly, yes, yes, we can. But they did not have a true understanding of what Jesus was really asking them. Sometimes we say yes to his word, without understanding the implications. Jesus did not chastise them for their ignorance, nor did he go into detail to explain what he meant. He simply told them that they would indeed drink of the same cup and be baptized with the same baptism. At that point in time, more than likely, Jesus knew that James and John were not ready to pay the future cost of discipleship. As disciples in the years to come, they were going to suffer many persecutions for the sake of the gospel, and at least one of them, James, would die as a martyr. If Jesus would have told them all about their future sufferings, they may have decided that the cost was too high. And like the rich young ruler, they may have walked away from Jesus at that point. But praise God, what gives me so much comfort and peace is that Jesus knew their hearts, just like he knows our hearts. He knew their future just like he knows our future. And he knew that as they grew in their relationship with him and as their f- that their faith would grow throughout the years, that their capacity and willingness to pay the increasing costs of discipleship would grow as well and praise god i want to thank god for that let's thank him that he knows us and he knows what we are capable of giving and he's patient and he is kind with us lord we thank you for that jesus we thank you for knowing our frame oh god we thank you for not requiring more than we can give jesus you are patient and you are kind oh god and we desire to be your disciples jesus help us lord to be willing to pay whatever cost you require of us lord for we lord will be blessed beyond whatever we give jesus and we give you the praise as brother ron comes up we'll close out thank you jesus praise
1: hallelujah hallelujah come on let's lift up our voices a little bit now oh hallelujah Come on, the Lord is obviously talking to us tonight. Let's lift our, let's just close our eyes for a moment. Lift our hands, let's lift our voices. Oh, hallelujah. Let's just respond to what we heard tonight. Come on, he's, he's talking to us about sacrifice. He's talking to us about sacrifice. Oh, hallelujah. These altars are open if you need to come. Oh, hallelujah. We have time. We've got time for this right now. Oh, Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, the harvest is upon us. Oh, hallelujah, we cannot worship without sacrifice. We cannot evangelize without sacrifice. We cannot disciple without sacrifice. It's part of our DNA. It's who we are. And if we're not willing to do the sacrifice, oh, hallelujah, that we're never going to be able to walk in the DNA of this church. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, that's it. As you come, just lift your voice.